Artists Worldwide. Welcome, everybody, to episode three, Quarantine Life of Global Brothers Podcast. We have a very, very special guest in the house today, along with myself, the Dandy, and my brother, Big Heath. Uh, we have actor, activist, educator, entrepreneur, and so much more, Brother Lamont Rucker. All right. Good What's morning, up, everybody. Brother? Thank Welcome. you, man. Thanks. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks for, thanks for being here, everybody. Appreciate the uh, support and, oh. and the interest. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. So like a little bit, a little bit of background. Um, Heath, uh, Heath has, been, has been raving about you for uh, quite some time now. As you know, Heath uh, wears his heart on his sleeve, which is what I love about the brother. If he, uh, if he has respect <laughs> for you and if he loves you like family, he will tell anybody else about you and about your movements and what you're doing and just why you're such a positive um, effect on his life and he shares that with everybody else and um uh like i do the same about him as well and i kind of learned that from you know like him going forward so definitely um uh a bit familiar with your work brother and more so than your work you as a person because you know he knows you personally so uh we're looking forward to hear from you today and i'm gonna let Heath uh kind of do a bit more intro from a personal level yeah um and i'll try to keep this uh brief as possible but uh Lamont you know, of course, you know, we go back uh, arguably 30 years. I'm not sure. I mean, our teens, right? I yeah, mean, almost. Yeah. Almost. I think it'll be 30 next year. Yeah, right. Well, no, it'll be 20 for me, 30 for you, right? Just 20. Right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's different. Yeah. It's different. But, um, you know, you being, you know, traveling around the world the way you do, being an activist and, in, 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 uh, you know, a lot of the people see you on the big screen. But, uh, you know, some of our conversation today is going to be about some of the things you do behind the scenes, behind the scenes, because you have a platform. So you take your talents away from Hollywood and you make a, you know, you make a huge impact. And all the schools that I've worked at, you've come to speak. Okay? <laughs> I don't know, you know, right. matter of fact, when you were in Dubai two years ago, it was over the holiday. You were here with us for three weeks, but you wanted to get to the schools when you got here. Which you know, yeah. I was I was real flattered about that. School school was out, you know, around the time you were here. But um, speak to that passion. You know, if we want to start off this conversation, I want to know where does your passion come from? Yeah, man. Well, I mean, I gotta, I gotta, really, I'd have to give that love to you know, obviously, to my parents, my extended family, and just my roots as you know, being a being a kid from from Pittsburgh. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that's where it comes from, man. Um, uh, quick story, Lamont and I played basketball growing up for a long time. Uh, we hung out, you know, we were in our younger days, hang, hanging out and everything. And I remember a time where I was working at this local university. And I had been with Lamont maybe a day or two prior. I come out of my house at seven in the morning and there's a, a movie being shot on my street. And my house was one of the, the, the scenes or one of the shots and I come out and it's the Temptations movie and I'm thinking to myself like you know nobody's going to tell us I couldn't even get my car off of the movie set like my car was a part of the movie scene so I was stuck there and I had to call off that day I couldn't get get out and um, I was in Le Mans two days later 
but I see him coming out of a trailer. He's in the movie. And he's he's one of the main characters in the Temptation movie. So um, that speaks to how humble he is. And this was um, this was 1999, 1998, something like that. 90, not 98. But, um, I have I have uh, I have whereas Lamont's uh, filmography started in 98. With, right. Yeah. With the Temptation. I know where I worked in 1998. So so in that span of time. But I mean that was a long time ago. And. Um, you know, he's, he's been a thespian, he's been a, an entrepreneur and an activist, you know, unapolog unapologetically so for a long time. So um, that's just one story. I have many. He, did you, did you, uh, did you get compensated, you know, because you missed work that day. You get compensated? <laughs> no, no. no. <laughs> As a matter of fact, um, I had to uh, send pictures that I wasn't lying, you know. I mean, because it, it was a bizarre occurrence. Coming out, I mean, these are just big trailers and high beam, you know, beams and everything all around my street. And Lamont's in the movie, so uh, and that was that was the young Lamont Rucker. Temptations was dope. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch that movie. He's in it. He's in it. He plays a he plays a pretty good part. Um, there's so many, there's so many stories. Um, say, once again, I'd, he's been in Dubai twice. He was, he was, he was, he was, uh, he was uh, Jimmy Ruffin. He was Jimmy Ruffin in it. I had to, uh, I had to get in, uh, in, in transit. So the timing of our, uh, of our call didn't quite time out as well as I mm -hmm. hoped it would this morning. So um, I'm multitasking right now yeah. for. Hey, yeah, that's all right. That's uh, all right. That's all right. You're good. You know what I'm saying? So, so, um. So I guess, you know, we were kind of talking um, about, uh, you know, just kind of sharing kind of my background and, and where that comes from. It really comes from me being the Pittsburgh boy, man. You know, both of my parents were actually born in Pittsburgh, although my grandparents weren't. Um, so, you know, the hustle that I grew up with, the uh, creative community that I grew up uh, around and immersed in, um, and uh, and being a being a kid from the north side, from Manchester, you know, I saw and was a product of what the investment looks like in in your children, you know. Um, you know, I got one of my cousins on the line, man, as, as well. I mean, you know, like, um, you know, we were raised together, you know, as well. So it's just like you, you know, you have people who. Um, took care of you and uh, embraced you and, you know, disciplined you and fed you and loved you and, you know, protected you. Um, and it's just, to me, um, I definitely dedicate so much of my uh, success and accomplishment. Um, it's dedicated to the people who, you know, put me in position to be so. And, uh, and that happens based on the kind of literally the environment that uh that cultivates you and a big part of that environment was the people was you know um like i said the arts community and the extended family that i had throughout um you know throughout the arts and creative community that was uh those kind of people those this was those that was the difference maker man you know it uh it, it changed my life and put me in a position to be um you know who i am hey rucker yeah, Rucker. You know, a lot of us we know the roles that you've played 
on the screen only years ago, you said that you love lifting up the black family in the images that you play. Speak, speak uh -huh. to that. Um, and, and even, I, I want to know personally, have you ever been given a role that didn't show a positive image to the black family and you turned it down? Oh, yeah, man. That's happened several times. There's, there's actually probably too many of those to mention that I said no to. Um, some of those I didn't even, um, you know, I didn't even go to the audition because I know I wasn't interested in any form, you know. Uh, there, there's some where I didn't even bother reading the script because just the character description itself or the, um, the summary and synopsis of the story wasn't, um, you know, wasn't anything that I wanted to participate in. And uh, I believe we all have a, a, a huge responsibility when it comes to that. You're absolutely responsible for the stories you tell, for the things that you, you know, call truth, you know, um, yeah. the things that you associate, your name, your face, again, your family, your gift, your hometown, all of that. So I think when you, um, when you do things that are, uh, that, that don't sit well with you, right? Like, I think you, and also that you, that you know aren't going to sit well with others. You, um, uh, you gotta, you gotta be smart about the choices you make. So, and you're accountable, man. You're, you have to be accountable. You have to understand the kind of responsibility that you have. And, um, uh, you know, the images that we've put out there, man, and how we represent ourselves and how we represent our people is is absolutely of, of grave, grave importance. You know, it can't be minimized whatsoever. I mean, the power of images, I mean, we understand the power of art and media and uh, and entertainment. So when you're a part of it, you know, without overstating your value, you do also have to understand and, um, you know, the, the kind of the kind of position that you're in and not take it lightly so so yeah man those are the principles and the standards that i've been raised with and uh i do my best to uphold them and model them you know throughout my uh, personal and professional life how's how's black hollywood like i'm and I'm, what i mean is your colleagues people who you know what type of pressure is it on 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 each of you guys and gals the the, the, the actresses and actors is, is there ever any frowning on roles that are taken that, are, that might be disparaging or, you know, roles that, you know, could be maybe subservient or something like that? Do people look at each other like, I can't believe you took that? Oh, yeah, yes. They're always going to be judging like that, you know what I mean? But uh, um, I don't know. People worry about that, and then some people don't. Or I got paid or, you know, so it all depends on who you talk to. Some people care, some people don't. Lamont's a very busy brother, as you can see, uh, multitasking, you know, like handling, handling this interview as well as going about his business. I love it. <laughs> and we didn't, we didn't, we didn't want to, we didn't want to reschedule and kind of, uh, For sure. uh, you know, inconvenience everybody or, you know, distort, mm -hmm. um, you know, the time. So for sure, uh, for sure. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes, but listen, this is, this is the truth of it right here too. Right. So it's like, it ain't always as, uh, as smooth or as pretty as some people draw it up or like to imagine it. You know, we don't, we don't sit in uh, ivory tower offices and, you know, um, have some uh, corner, you know, office perspective while we, 
while we hold meetings, you know, most of the time you are uh, in in transit or, I mean, I can't tell you how many interviews I do in my in my trailer on set. <laughs> you know what right. I'm saying? That's very valuable um, insight there, Lamam, because like a lot of people on the call and a lot of friends that do support Global Brothers Podcast, they are they are entrepreneurs, you know, and they're 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 multitasking people and you know work for themselves or like you know hold down hold down three, yeah, four yeah. different hustles. So, you know, it's very good to hear from someone as experienced as yourself that you know you gotta keep it moving always. I got a question, Lamont. Uh, I know the answer, but I want you to speak uh, to our to our uh, our guests about let's talk the uh, HIV AIDS film, short film that you did. And then tie that into uh, your work with uh, Magic Johnson Foundation and the AIDS Health Organization. My AIDS um, advocacy and education and prevention started, uh, started as a teenager. So then as time went on, I continued to do that work. So now my relationship with the AIDS Healthcare Foundation and um, the Black AIDS Institute and I mean, pick a city, the Pittsburgh AIDS Task Force, Aid Atlanta. I mean, I got there's countless agencies and entities throughout the country. And I've even been to and spoken at international AIDS conferences and so forth. Um, but, uh, you know, and then, um, you know, I was we did this I Stand With Magic campaign as well, because as we know, when Magic Johnson contracted HIV, uh, he started a Magic Johnson Foundation, which really focused and has supported HIV, AIDS, education, and prevention. So, um, so yeah, I've been involved in this work for, you know, like we're saying, like decades now, 30 years, you know what I mean? Um, and started as a young person who was really just kind of learning what was happening and understanding how important the issue this was to be connected to. And again, as we said earlier, to take some responsibility for how this is affecting my family, my community, my country, you know, my people. So, uh, so yeah, I've been committed to uh, this HIV and AIDS fight for, for a long time, man. Bringing up, like, the fact that you're leading by example, um, in terms of your mentoring work with, uh, you know, like, young boys and girls, um, I heard a quote that you said that uh, it's pretty much, it's difficult to be what you can't see. And I'll just say that again for everybody. Um, like, it's a quote that you had said, it's difficult to be what you can't see. Uh, how important is it to really lead by example on everything that you're doing? Um, you know, for the you know, like like to show to show the community and uh, you know, young boys and girls what they can be. Yeah, real man. Quick, I'm Lamont, gonna... Lamont, Lamont, real quick. Yeah. Um, just, just, I want you to. Uh, I'm Kanye West. You just real quick, real quick. Um, Ron Lawrence, the president of the 100 Black Men, is in the room. And oh yeah, that's a guy. Yeah, that's a guy who actually instilled that in us. So go ahead, Lamont. I wanted to give him a shout out before you answered that. Oh yeah, yeah. So again, just another example of the kind of extended family I have through just the rich, you know, uh, wealth and dearth and breadth of community, and you know, the, just the wonderful, beautiful black men I've had around me all my life, you know his wife, my E.I. Val, and I mean, we've got like so many people, like there's so many people through some of the other cultural communities and, you know, that, um, you know, different traditions that I've grown up in and been exposed to or what have you, like, you know, 
that, like I said, that goes back to the earlier question. What has absolutely taken my life to a certain level and continues to take it to that level are the men that I've had around me setting that example and showing that example. And, and now that's what, that's what we're trying to do with this podcast, right? That's who Heath is. That's who you are, you know, Marlon. So that's who we all are. We got to understand that if we're not out here doing the work and keeping our act together, how can we expect our young boys to keep their act together? Um, You know, you have a responsibility to the people watching you. And this goes back to even your conversation about our conversation about what I do on screen. It's the same thing. So we have to set the example. We have to be the example, live the example, not just fake it, not just try to show a perfect picture. That's not it. It's about full transparency. It's about flaws. It's about um, falling on our face and trying to figure it out and all of that. I try to do that in all the work that I do, man, like show how magnificent we are, but also show that sometimes we don't know what the hell we're doing and that's okay. And when you don't know what the hell you're doing, reach up to an elder. When you don't know what the hell you're doing, yeah, reach out to a peer. Hopefully, a peer who at least is trying hard to do good. And what we've got sometimes is some of our kids and some of our young people and some of our young boys that we got knuckleheads reaching out for help to other knuckleheads. And then they all just a group of knuckleheads, you know? So, but what they are looking for and reaching for sometimes is love, is leadership is brotherhood, is fatherhood. So we've got to do that for each other and we've got to do that for our kids in the best way possible. So the more accessible you are, the more, um, you know, transparent and and truthful you are about that, I think the better off it is, not only for for yourself, your own growth, but even for our kids. I mean, that's who Jacob is, right? That's just Jacob Greenleaf we're talking about. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. That's coming, that's coming. The Greenleaf is coming. Earlier today, I saw an old clip of Dr. Jawanza Kanjufu, who you know very well. And um, the clip was about seven minutes long, and he talked about the struggle to be popular and to be smart, or be smart, be popular or be smart. And I hate to include myself, but you, you're a brother. We, we, we're, we're people who found a way to be both. Right? Exactly. You know? Yo, in high school, and I had a couple of my classmates that was like, I remember somebody was like, yo, you're like a fly nerd. There's another one for you, fly. It's like, you're like a fly nerd. I'm going to call you like undercover, you know, undercover yeah. geek or undercover nerd or whatever. And I was like, all right, you know, I, whatever that's supposed to mean. But I realized what they were saying is just that. Like, you handle your business. You get great grades. Like, you're very smart, but you don't lead with it. Everybody doesn't necessarily know. Because the way some of us are looking at you is that you're just, you know, again, like you're saying, Mr. Popular, or you know everybody, everybody seems to like you. I never considered myself Mr. Popular. Right, yeah. So all these things are still in the eyes of other people. All the truth has to be is, do you handle your business? Do Do you do the best, you know, you can? And like, you know what I'm saying? Are you staying out of trouble? Are you yeah. being true to yourself? Like, who cares what other people really think? But I also realized, again, even that early, how many people had their eyes on me? How many people were following my example? Hey, real quick, I want to segue to uh, Dr. Steve Perry's work. You were on the show, Help Me Save My Son. Chilling yeah. episode, chilling episode, where you uh, were basically loving on a young boy and um, trying to get him right. Can you speak to that in your work with Dr. Perry? 
Yeah, man. So again, this is when we find each other, right? And the, the, what's always incredible about this work is it can be really tough and exhausting work. But one of the things that's so powerful about it is when we continue to identify how many other incredible men are out here doing the work and doing the same work. Um, so when Steve reached out, I was like, yo, doing this show, would love to have you on here. Um, we had a young man on there that was, he was just, he was getting in so much trouble. And again, unfortunately, there was a cycle of behavior in his family, and he was falling into some of the same patterns. He was tough, you know, and all this stuff, and everybody was just talking about how they can't get through to him. And by the time I'm there with him, and even on the show, you know, he cracked. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, you know, he just, he, he couldn't, he, he couldn't hold it back anymore. And I also gave him permission, right? Not to have to try to hold it back anymore. Stop trying to be something you're not. We know you're scared. You're afraid. We know you're ashamed. All these things. And this stuff is killing us, man. Especially yeah. some of our boys that don't know how to deal with it and don't know how to manage it. And again, don't feel like they got any help. So long story short, we got through to him, got through to him a lot. Not only the time that we were together during the show and those couple days that I was in, uh, actually in Jersey, but one of the other incredible uh, extensions of that is that young man is still in my life to this day. I've been mentoring him yeah. ever since, and um, you know he's gotten his life together and kept himself back, got himself back on track. Graduated from high school, went and got some other professional training, and um, and is you know working, self-sufficient, not in trouble. You know, and has left those those behaviors and some of those patterns, you know, behind a beautiful young man. And yeah. so, you know, again, I I, I I gained another little brother that day. Um, he was my little brother regardless, right? And now, yeah. you know, I've been able to hold him even tighter and, um, you know, in my life and in my circle a little yeah. bit more intimately. And uh, and again, I think literally that's what we did. We saved, we saved his life, I think, together. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's the popular saying of like, you know, you don't want to meet your heroes. Uh, I'm sure you've heard that, right? But, but, yeah. but, but like in your case, I can see anyone coming up watching your work. Uh, I can tell them like, you know, from talking to you now, that's, that's, that's the complete opposite. You know, I'd love to meet you because it sounds like you are exactly what you portray. I try, man. I try to make sure that those guys, all the men that I portray are very different from me. They're not me. But they're definitely a part of me. I definitely have a lot of things in common with them. But there's a lot of things, the detail, the nuance, even the three of us, as much as we all have in common, we're three completely different human beings. And the yeah. details and the nuances are what are important and what are what make us all special and unique. But I also tell people, especially kids, i like, yeah, you're unique, just like everybody else. Right. So you also have to keep it in perspective that you're not the only one and you don't know everybody's story and you don't know everybody's life. So the details and the minutia and the little, uh, again, the nuances are what's so important. So that's what I try to explore with every character that I play is, all right, what sets, like I said, what sets Jacob apart from Marshall or from, y'all mentioned Jimmy Ruffin or from, you know, Chase or, you know, Garrett or Will or, I mean, I could count, you know, right, I could just mention countless characters that I've portrayed, right. but all these men, are very different. And what I strive to do is to make sure that every man that's watching and every man that's, you know, uh, witnessing this story sees himself 
somewhere, you know, very honestly in that, in the story, or at least in one of those guys. I mean, I've, I've portrayed everything, man. I've been, you know, and even things that weren't uh, favorable at all. I mean, I remember when I was on the soaps, my character was accused of rape, you know? Yeah. Um, I've also played an eight-year-old boy who's been raped. You know what I'm saying? So I've been, like, the work that I've done has so broadly on the spectrum of being of the victim and the predator. The man who's figured it all out and missed it successful and seems to have it all together. And the dude who's absolutely clueless and, you know, doesn't know what he's doing and is on this journey of self-discovery to and hope hopefully we'll get his act together whatever it is that's part of the fun and part of the work is like exploring all of that because that's the truth yeah you know you know what it was a pretty profound role you played you just made me think of it in the movie the man in 3b the um the boy who uh, i guess he was molested and he took to you uh for Compassion or intimacy. You remember that? Yeah, yeah. I asked you if you remembered it, like you didn't play the role, but right, yeah, right. No, that absolutely. was really profound. He, had, he hadn't been molested, but but he was gay, and he was still in the closet about being gay. Exactly. That's what That's it was. That was, his, that was his secret, right? Mm -hmm. And again, somebody that my character had kind of, you know, started to kind of take under his wing, like a little brother, and you know, kind of look out for him, and it's also. It also spoke to, regardless of the young man's sexuality, which wasn't really entirely the point, um, right. but part of what happens, and this is, and you understand this as an educator working with young boys, and in particular young girls, and even mm -hmm. their mothers and aunties or whatever, is how people start to sometimes internalize or even misinterpret the love and the intimacy and the affection and the devotion that you have to them, and they can literally start to fall in love with you they can literally start to they want they want you to be their boyfriend or their daddy or marry their mom or their auntie and they try you know they all it and you're like hold on i love you that's I been my you. entire career yeah. I'm your, i love you because i'm your teacher i love you because i'm a father figure but no you know you you can call i know you consider me kind of like an uncle but i'm not marrying your auntie you know right um and boys, young boys, you know, have these, these challenges as well. They're trying to, it's all part of how we process what love, you know, is. And sometimes it's the reason why some even grown men can't tell other grown men, I love you, is because they don't, they still struggle with how to express, you know, this, these feelings of love and connection and intimacy because they think it's sexual when it's not that at all. I mean, I've even, I even spoke at a relationship conference one time and talked about the fact that I've had a couple women in my life that I've actually dated that I realized I wasn't supposed to date you, but I thought because I cared about you so much and you're attractive that we were supposed to date. And what we realized is like, nah, love takes so many different forms. And the reason why we're, we've got this connection, it doesn't have anything to do with being in a romantic relationship with each other, but we are supposed to be a part of each other's lives and a part of each other's families, you know, until, until the end of time, you know, but not, not in this romantic or, you know, sexual way. Or I just want to bring up two questions uh, from, you know, from the room. One question is uh, uh, from Loki. Uh, he says, um, in terms of mentorship, how do you go about choosing one? 
and how important is it in this day and age mentorship? So I think he means like, how do you go about choosing a mentee uh, in terms of someone to look after and kind of show the ropes? I think both are, are necessary. So I, let's just do those one at a time because that's okay. a lot to process and talk about, but I'm going to try to again be brief. So I think both are necessary. So regardless of where you are and what age you are, or how much you feel like you know or can give or share, there's no greater resource than you. You, the person, you, the individual, whatever you've seen, whatever you know, whatever you've experienced, um, that's something to give and something to share. Somebody can benefit from that, and there's also somebody that can continue also to pour into you. I think what all of us need, no matter what age we are, are, are mentors. And, uh, and I think all of us, no matter what age we are, also, um, are mentors. So, so what we all gotta uh, find the opportunity to do is just look right within your reach. You know, they're more than likely, and somebody doesn't have to be, you know, at death's door, or they don't have to be a criminal that needs your help. <laughs> you know, like just it's probably a neighbor. It might be a niece or nephew, or um, I mean, I've got people who I call nieces and nephews. They're not biologically related at all, but simply because they're the child of somebody else I know, you know, whatever way our families are connected or can be connected or that I could be more present and more accessible to that young lady or to that young man, then I'm acting and functioning as a mentor, whether we're considered legally, biologically or not. A lot of times it's somebody that your kids might go to school with. It's somebody who, like I said, lives next door, down the street, around the corner, whatever. And they don't always have to be somebody who's in trouble or who's been in trouble. But even if they are, even more of a reason to step in. But even if they're not, again, let's step in now to prevent them ever being at risk or in trouble. And similarly, we reach up the line to those who know better than us or been around longer than us or um, that we admire or that maybe we'd like to learn from or maybe do business with or, uh, I mean, there's people that I realize I gravitate to because I'm just curious about what it is that they do, you know? I mean, um, in Atlanta, for example, I got a chiropractor who's a young brother. He went, he's also a Hampton graduate, you know? I do work with Hampton, you know, I'm on their board. I'm actually um, beginning my PhD there. My wife's an alum. So, we immediately vibe because not only we have this Hampton University connection, but also because he's a young brother. And I'm one, I always try to make sure all my practitioners and doctors and dentists and all that everywhere I live and work are people of color. So I have this highly qualified, beautiful brother, young. We got a lot in common. And I realize I'm in there and I'm learning about, you know, chiropractic medicine, you know, Every time I'm with them and even in between. So there's people that sometimes there are, are, are doctors or like I said, our dentists, our auto mechanics or whatever. I don't care who it is. I'm, I'm like such a learner. I'm gravitating to people and learning from people and coming up under people's wings because what they do is important to me and my body and my health and my wellness. But also just because I think so much of what so many other people do it's so interesting. Now, now they're leading me. Now they're becoming a mentor in my own personal wellness, right? If nothing less. Like, so that's mentorship too, as far as I'm concerned. But my point is a lot of this information, a lot of these people 
are right within your reach, you know? What is it that you want to do? What are your dreams? Are you an entrepreneur? Do you want to go into business for yourself? If so, find somebody who's already doing what you need to do and, you know, learn from them, come up under them, align yourself with them, volunteer with them, intern with them, offer your services and your time and your expertise, you know, whatever it is. So, and just get yourself in that ecosystem because that's going to, you know, pay dividends, but bring some value. Don't just latch on to people just to use them, you know, for your own benefit. Bring some value. And you have to know that you do have value. Even yeah. if you don't feel like you know much about what it is they're going to teach you, right. there's still value that you're going to bring to that equation. Uh, Trey Lou says, um, while our young men are being attacked, how can we lift up our young men's morale and how can uh, they personally help as a radio personality? Yeah, that's tough. I think it's really difficult to, uh, to try to figure out because there's, everybody manages their, um, their anxiety and their trauma, if you will, in a very different way. Um, so I think we've got to, one, be, I think just the honesty and the transparency about um, what's really going on uh, with people is what we have to also facilitate. We're using this language of mental health and that, you know, a lot more openly and, and freely now. But what a lot of it really comes down to is us simply being honest about our feelings. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um, and if we're not really talking about and, um, and managing our feelings, what often happens is we then um, are held responsible for our behavior, but nobody ever really dealt with our feelings. So we've got to give our young men the opportunity to um, to speak up and all people, because what happens to our young men and boys um, is also happening to our, you know, young women and girls. And even we've had things even happen to, to some of our elderly, you know, men and women. Yeah. So we've got to give ourselves the opportunity to have an open, safe and honest forum about what's really happening with us. And then, yeah, let's come up with some solutions. How do we heal? How do we facilitate that healing? Um, what are the mechanisms that you have and that you, on a daily basis, use for how you manage your emotions, how you continue to stay encouraged and um, moving forward, you know, every day and stay positive regardless of what's going on. And that kind of uh, courageous, you know, uh, decision making and that kind of, uh, you know, how you move forward and how you um, convince yourself that you can still be part of the solution and that positive change is, is happening and it's still, you know, it's still possible is a consistent conversation and mental and emotional and spiritual training and process that you've got to have. And people do it a variety of different ways, whether it's through faith, whether it's through um, other kind of routine and, and personal kind of spiritual you know, ritual, you know, people put affirmations on their bathroom mirror or they say affirmative things to themselves throughout, um, throughout the day. Um, and, you know, I pray I have my different forms of, of meditation and self-encouragement and, and empowerment. So we've got to all kind of learn and teach what some of those methods um, and techniques are because we all need them on good days and bad days. And whether there's it's just a regular day of trial and tribulation or something as tragic uh, as what happened 
you know, uh, to, you know, again, our mods and Trayvons and, and so forth. Lamont, quick question. Uh, well, it's not a quick question. It's um, <laughs> I'll preface it by 1992. I was getting prepared. Lamont and I played college basketball, but he played at a, a university very close to mine, and we played against each other. Okay, so we grew up together, played on the courts together, but then we went every to separate summer, colleges. Every summer, we, every summer league we played with or against each other. Yeah, yeah we, 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 we were with each other in, in the fall. <laughs> We battled, we battled against each other. But um, 1992, I'm getting prepared for a college basketball game, and I found out the news. And oh, yeah. my, my teammate, who is your brother, you know, basically, you guys grew up in the same house, Samba, took my shoes and wrote your late brother's name on my shoes that day. Uh, I, I don't know if it was hours before our game, but you lost your brother at age 19 back in 1992. And I couldn't touch you then. I was away at college. You were away at college. We were only a half hour away from each other, but you were doing your thing. I was doing my thing. We didn't have cell phones. We didn't have social media. I couldn't reach out. Um, and it seemed as though you dealt with that and it like propelled you in my eyes. It like thrusted you into another sphere of uh, motivation. Am I correct by saying that? Yeah, you would be very correct. So um, when I seen you deal with, and I know I'm going back, but uh, I hate to digress, but to go back to Dr. Steve Perry, the work you do, American Heart Association, AIDS, uh, uh, awareness and intervention. When I see that, I, I, it, when I see you doing the work, it takes me back, back to when we were kids, when we were, you know, when we literally had to dig ourselves out of trauma. And, and um, it's just one of those things. I hear you speak passionate about some of the work you do. And, and what you do for kids, even what you've done for my son and all the kids around the Pittsburgh and D.C. area. Um, I just want to tell you, I commend you, brother. You know, before we move on, I commend you, man. Really. No, thank you. Thank you, man. That, that means a lot. You know, and that's just, you know, that's just one person in one life that's, you know, in the equation. I mean, that's who um, that's the kind of situation that I'm trying to continue to prevent. Um, so. Even before it happened that personally, uh, I was, like I said, I was already doing the work. And then when it ends up literally hitting you that close to home, um, it, it definitely propels you in, into a different stratosphere. But similarly, just like anybody in any family, just like all of our families, that was my, or, so to put it plainly, or to put it, I guess, maybe more broadly, that was, that was, my, that was one of my Ahmad, right? That was one of my early Trayvons. That was one of my, so it's like, you know, I learned very early on and even I've had other instances prior to that where I lost other friends or family or what have you, where you've got to find a healthy way to use and process the tragedy and the trauma that comes your way. And I could have very easily gone back to DC from college and tried to hunt down, you know, 
the person who, um, you know, shot um, and murdered my brother. I could have uh, easily tried to get vengeance or revenge or, you know, to feed my pain or to feed my ego by, you know, um, by getting even in that way. But, um, but that was going to do nothing but contribute to more destruction. It was going to destroy somebody else's family. And it also would have also just uh, destroyed mine. The last thing I was going to do, I remember thinking very clearly and one of the decisive moments was I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure that um, in this moment, uh, I'm not going to put my family in a position to lose two sons, you know, right. to me, that would be absolutely foolish. So instead I used it as motivation to keep my act together, keep myself, uh, um, you know, safe, uh, keep myself out of harm's way and to not um, embarrass, bring pain or disrespect or dishonor my family, um, you know, by doing something that was going to uh, reinvite this type of, of pain or anguish their way. And likewise, I'm like, if, if I'm going through this and other families are going through this and I know they have, and I know they are. So I'm going to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. And it absolutely, it's one, it's one, probably the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And at the same time, it's one of the best things that's happened to me and it's happened for other people. So that's what I realized. A lot of what's happening to us isn't just happening to us. It's actually happening for us. And it's happening for us so that we can do something bigger, something greater, and something bigger and greater than you. Because it's very easy to be selfish in those situations and just do something that you think is going to make you feel better. But the real unfortunate greater purpose that it can serve is that it'll save other lives, even though it couldn't save his. Wow. Wow. Uh, he, he thanks so much for asking that. And uh, Lamont, like the way, the way that you answered that was so powerful. Um, what a, what a traumatic experience for anybody to go through at, at, at any age. I pray every day about it. So what I've done, so this is another trick and this is maybe back to Trey Lou's question a little bit. Sorry to interrupt you. But one of the things that I realized works for me is not to deny it, not to not talk about it, not to repress it, not to deflect it and take it out on anybody else. What I've literally done is when I bless my food every day and I eat <laughs> every day, <laughs> I literally also say I've integrated a small prayer into that, you know, to basically kind of like say, you know, I love you basically to my brother every single day. And I've integrated into the ritual of when I bless my food. So if I'm saying thank you, God, for feeding me, I'm also, I say a little something to my ancestors. And, you know, I've got like a little thing that I've just found a way of organically piecing it all together. Um, so that's one of my daily ways to like, again, pray on it, you know, say, um, acknowledge it acknowledge my own um, feelings and my own pain about it, but also it's a reminder and, you know, like you, you speak you speak in love with stuff, that's, that's what brings love. I heard a quote that you said about sports, but you said it really relates to anything across the board. You said, I get paid to practice, the game is free. Talk a bit more about that and how you apply that to your life. The real work is done uh, Monday through Saturday. 
it's film, it's, it's, it's study, it's weight room, it's conditioning, it's nutrition. Again, it's the self-discipline of staying out of trouble, right? Being available, um, you know, because some guys, again, whether it's injury or even their, their poor decision-making and the, uh, the things, the, the issues that they have in their personal life that get in the way of them even being able to be available, let alone compete at a high level, right? So it, it, that's part of the premise, uh, even, even as an actor, when it comes to rehearsal, y'all never see rehearsal. You just expect when you show up to the play, that is dope. You want to get what you pay for. So my responsibility is to do everything that I was supposed to do prior to that so that when you show up, you get what you pay for, you know? And so that's really what it comes down to. It's, it's kind of like, even as an athlete, it's what you do in off season that shows itself um, during the season. Nobody sees that. Nobody's there. Nobody's doing that work with you. Um, but that's what you have to be committed to. And I also have learned the harder you work then, the easier the season is, right? Your practices should be harder than the games. When your practices are harder and more competitive than the game, like, oh, man, like, by the time you get to the game, you're like, this is nowhere near as competitive or as difficult as practice. So that's what it is. It's more of a, it's an issue of, of work ethic and, um, you know, and, and, and commitment and self-discipline. You've had um, a lot of different uh, variations of roles in terms of your soap opera work, your work on UPN, um, the film that you've done uh, that people might consider like a black genre with, uh, you know, Tyler Perry and then now to the OWN Network. We have a specific question from Noor saying that um, she wants to hear about your work with Greenleaf uh, as well as, uh, you know, Why Did I Get Married? Those two roles in particular, um, how did you embody those characters? So Greenleaf and Why Did I Get Married? Um, yeah, so that work, um, that work was a, uh, you know, combination of, like we said, kind of like, how similar are you to these guys, right? Mm -hmm. um, but what you're really doing is less personal than it is, um, you know, just serving that story, you know? You have to understand what kind of function and, um, you know, what's the purpose of your character in the story? What are people, you know, what do you want people to walk away from? Again, what images are you, you know, setting forth and putting forward? So one of the things that, you know, that I've been very proud of is that I've been able to do some really incredible work um, with other uh, phenomenal black folks, you know? I mean, you don't, you, you don't get to, uh, um, you don't get much higher on the food chain when it comes to, you know, who are, uh, you know, who some of our best, not just most famous, but, um, most successful and most incredible, you know, executives and content creators and storytellers than Open Winfrey and Tyler Perry, you know? Um, not that there aren't others, but it's an incredible privilege to have been associated with them both and have worked with them both. So, you know, you kind of have to have an idea of, all right, what do they, what, what story are they trying to tell? What are the messages we're trying to, um, you know, uh, push through? And, uh, and how can my character and how can my ability uh, serve the script, 
and serve these characters and serve the story. So I'm just trying to do, you know, the best I can again to not have to show that the guys are, are perfect, but um, at the same time to, uh, I am, was very excited about the fact that, you know, I was in a position to really magnify and reinforce how incredible uh, we are as black men and how much we love our black women and children and family, you know, oh. and, uh, um, you know, we're smart, we're, we're, um, you know, we care about the people around us. We, uh, we do good and we are always trying to do good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we're, we're accomplished, we're professional, we're, we're sharp, we got style, you know, um, we're articulate, um, we're affectionate, we're vulnerable, um, you know, all of that. So I've tried to just do the best I can to, to, to do all of that, to show what that looks like for, you know, for us. I think it's been helpful for us to see that for ourselves. And I believe these stories and images are impactful for the other people that, that see it. Because unfortunately, that's not their impression or their experience, you know, with the image of black men or black love or black family. And, uh, you know, I think we've been able to play a powerful, play a powerful role in, in how, that, how that's done. We have a question from uh, Maurice Ransom, who uh, said, tell us when was the actual moment and time uh, that you decided, that's a bit loaded, but like, you know, the pretty much that you decided that you want to pursue a career in acting. So tell us the exact moment in time that you, you, you decided you want to pursue a career in acting. That's a good question. Um, by the time I made that decision, I was, so funny enough, that wasn't even, even though I went to performing arts high school, and all, all, even though, thank you, sir, even though I studied uh, drama and musical theater at Carnegie Mellon, um, excuse me, even though um, I even moved to New York to, uh, you know, to, to, to work and study after that, after graduate school, it still wasn't really a complete 100% decision probably until I got to New York. Um, what I consider myself to really have been doing the entire time otherwise was, you know, um, was continuing to train and explore and to get as much experience because that's a big decision, like any decision, you know. Before I left Pittsburgh, I was actually considering playing NFL football, playing basketball overseas, you know, was I going to go get, uh, go back to get my uh law degree or PhD or, you know, was I going to go into the corporate space? I mean, I had, luckily I had a variety of different things that I could consider doing, but I didn't really have my mind made up <laughs> until, um, until I went to New York. And that was also one of the decisive, um, moments for me, you know, was, okay, um, I'm going to make this move and this move is significant. <laughs> this is a big move. New York ain't cheap. <laughs> so if I'm going to make this move, I'm, I'm going for it. You know what I'm saying? It was that yeah. type of thing. Yeah, right. So it was probably around that time that I really, really made the really aggressive, assertive, decisive uh, career decision. 
But before that, again, I have undergraduate degrees, you know what I mean? I mean, I'm, as well, right? I've got a master's degree in education. Um, you know, I studied business and law before I moved into education. I've worked in other, you know, industries and got other experience. Uh, so I made sure that I was like doing other things and preparing and equipping and training myself in other ways so that um, whatever decision I made, I'd, I'd be equipped to make it. Um, so once I decided to go, you know, the, uh, you know, this particular route um, and put it in first position is what I actually like to say, because I never abandoned the other thing. I just kind of slid this up and put this first. I still do all that other stuff. It's just not my primary. Um, I'm lucky to make a living being a professional, you know, uh, actor. So this is another thing that sometimes people don't know. I was offered a job um, for a show, but I was still finishing graduate school. So I said no to the job because, you know, I was still fish finishing my degree and I was determined to finish my degree before I made the next move. So, and most people thought I was crazy. Trust me, that executive producer thought I was out of my mind to say no, you know, but, but they respected my decision, you know, just the same. So, I mean, they, they probably thought, oh, this guy's crazy. He's an idiot. You know, he, he missed his opportunity. And a lot of other people definitely thought the same thing. Cause some people think that lightning only strikes once, you know, Wow. Um, that's not the case, especially not for me. Lightning has been, you know, it always strikes more than once. It may not always strike in the same place, but I'm not going to be standing in the same place. So, oh, love that. Mike drop, Mike drop. We have a um, granddaughter of an icon. We have BB King's granddaughter in in the house, and she just asked, her name is Val B King, and she just asked a question. Uh, what actors do you look up to, and were there any actors that mentored you? So that's from Val B King, uh, granddaughter of the iconic pioneer BB King. Shout out to Val. Yeah, well, first of all, respect to that family and that legacy for sure. And thanks for the question. Um, yeah, man, there's countless actors, man. There's way too many names to mention because a lot of people, you know, you wouldn't even necessarily recognize their names. Um, but I'll even go as far back to, um, you know, Paul Robeson is always been one of my, um, models and uh, I'm actually developing a film about him now. There's actually this really incredible friendship that Paul Robeson and Albert Einstein had, um, that most people know nothing about. So we have a really powerful script about their lives and their friendship and a lot of the work that they did together, um, both in the anti-lynching movement here in the States and against fascism, you know, throughout the world and, uh, and, and throughout Europe. So there's a really powerful, um, you know, a really powerful example that, that Paul Robeson set for me, um, especially when it comes to how to do all of this together, the way we're talking about, how to be uh, a scholar, an athlete, an artist, you know, a father, a husband. So he was definitely a very instrumental model for me. Excellent actor, beautiful voice, you know, singer and, um, and humanitarian. So I've respected, um, you know, his example for, for a very long time. Um, so he's one, but then, you know, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, other people that you all would know, whether it's 
Halle Belafonte, um, you know, Ossie Davis, um, mm. you know, um, you know, some more contemporary yeah. ones. I, I, some of the guys that I like now that we see a lot, but I don't believe we see enough. You know, I like, um, you know, brothers like like Harry Lennox and Dennis Haysbert. And I mean, it's so easy for people to jump on the, you know, like the Denzel or Sam Jackson bandwagon, for example. But I mean, I was thrilled to work with Keith David. People have no idea how decorated Keith's career is and how he's also somebody who's done everything. I mean, he does countless voiceover work. He's got a beautiful singing voice. He's done Broadway, you know, all of that. So it's like film, television, stage, <clears throat> voiceover, animation, all of that. When you really look at what it really means to be an artist and what it really means to be an actor, the people who are really doing it on all of these, you know, levels and in all these various places and spaces that we do it, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of folks whose work that I admire and respect, um, especially those who've done it with, with, with class, with, um, you know, who've done it at a certain um, standard of excellence and consistency uh, and also the way they live and breathe and walk and talk in their personal and in their personal lives is just as important as what they do on camera. We have another question from uh, Teba from, from, uh, from Ethiopia. So, yeah, uh, global indeed. Uh, Teba says, um, how do you define success? What does success mean to you? That's an excellent question, and that that's one of my master classes right there, actually. So, um, and I, I'm gonna give you somewhat of the abbreviated version of it because that's all we have time for. For free, but for free as well. Master class. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for, yeah, real talk. So, one of the ways that I also define that is that has nothing to do with the things that you can count or touch, um, or what's sitting in the bank. It has nothing to do with. Um, the admiration of other people, uh, anything like that. So what success really is, is about you aligning with what you're supposed to be doing here and, and how you're supposed to be doing it. And when you get in touch with, um, with that truth and when you get your value system aligned and in the right place, you stop chasing things and money and people and attention and all this other stuff, like success comes to you in a much more quality way. And what's funny is when you go about it in the right way and in the right order, all the other stuff comes to you anyway, but it just comes to you in different sequence. And because then it comes to you later, as opposed to sooner, you know how to manage it better. You know how to apply the money and the attention and the, and the, you know, fame or the things that you get and you also realize you don't even and by that time you realize half that you don't even need so the reason why it's coming to you is so you can give it away but when if you do everything for the purpose of what you acquire and what you're supposed to own and what all the stuff you're supposed to buy and how big their house is supposed to be and all that your life is going to be empty you know so be very careful to um to follow the example of uh, of those that don't really speak to the power and beauty of your of your spirit and the power and beauty and purity of of what it means to be uh, whoever and whatever you are. So I can only speak as an African 
and as you know, as a black man, so I know I've got to be very careful falling into the traps of Western civilization and their value system, especially a capitalist perspective. Um, and if if you are if you are careful not to fall into some of those traps, I mean, we all live here and we work here and we want to thrive and survive here. So there's certain things that yes, we play into and feed into and we use to our um, to our advantage. But you also have to be very careful about not about those things not dictating who you are and how you live every element of your life because it will it will put you in a very bad place and in a very bad space. And I know countless people who are who have everything that you all think you want and they're they're completely unhappy. So as far as I'm concerned, they're not successful. Speaking from a global perspective, uh, I know you've heard of Nollywood, which is uh, the second biggest film industry in the world behind Bollywood, and then comes Hollywood, uh, your playground. Um, what do you think about the strides that international artists are making? When I say international, obviously uh, specifically African artists, so like films out of Africa and like the TV scene there. And... Um, uh, Places like Netflix are developing like a like a, um, a a big partnership with Africa, whereas now they have a whole African section uh, to Netflix. So, like, what do you think about the come up of that and potential collaborations on the continent from Black American artists like yourself? Well, I've got a couple of different feelings about that. One, it took them too long because yeah. we've always been there. We've always been right. writing these stories. Our stories and our people have always been relevant. The reason why they're finally coming on board now is because they want the African dollar, you know, is because they understand what kind of market um, African people and the African, you know, diaspora is. So now they want to, you know, benefit and profit from Africa, as we know they've done in, you know, forever. So that part of it makes me very uncomfortable um, that now all of a sudden you want to validate us. So. Um, but we've always been valid. Our stories have always been valid. Our own industries have always been valid. We've got to be very careful that if we don't own these stories and we don't own these studios and we don't own this content, that these other mechanisms um, are going to come in and basically just colonize <laughs> our storytelling, as our film and television and entertainment industry too. So be very careful trying to be validated by you know, Netflix or by America or by, you know, um, you know, these Western markets because they're coming to take it. They're not typically not coming to share it. So, but, uh, but I think it's great that we've got more global access to one another. Um, if you're not from, you know, if you're not in the Nollywood community, you might not have access to what's happening there. So the fact that now they're on these more common, you know, global portals, it's great that we can have access to one another. So please, everybody support these stories, you know, I've always loved foreign films. I've always loved, um, you know, stories. I mean, I've gotten in the habit of, of watching movies with subtitles. It's almost like that's more the norm for me than, than a movie that's natively done in English. Um, so um, everybody, wherever you are, write your story, tell your story, you know, share your voice. Um, and, you know, now we've got the medium for those stories to be shared and heard and received by the people. And that's just icing on the cake, but support each other, man. We gotta, we gotta make sure that we're supporting one another, you know, um, throughout, throughout, throughout the globe. 
And uh, how do you, how do you, how do you, how do you feel about you yourself? Um, you know, actually, I can't wait to come overseas and star in a movie okay. in uh, you know, in Nollywood or or Bollywood. You know, right. I can't wait. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. That's another thing that I think is key, and that this is the opportunity for this kind of collaboration. You know, and vice versa. I think we need to see more people in stories that are happening here. You know, I mean. I've, I've done different things in a couple of my projects where I've tried to very clearly, like, integrate the fact that my character has, you know, um, direct African lineage or Caribbean lineage or, you know, or lived in this part of the world or that part of the world or, you know, it's connect has friends or family or, you know, whatever in other parts of the globe. So I think even though we're writing a story that might be our story, we also need to embrace diversity. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. Absolutely. Very, uh, very good answer. Yeah, because because I, you know, the, the, the world is small and um, part of what stems that 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 uh, divide um, is entertainment, you know, entertainment like, you know, definitely bridges, you know, bridges, divides and, um, you know, builds, you know, builds bridges. So uh, like, you know, what you just said is very, um, very helpful to that, you know, knowing that knowing that Black Hollywood, um, at least in some respects, is uh, is looking out for that and has designs to make that connection. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of us here are already doing it. And a lot of us here are looking to do more of it, you know? So, um, what's tough is making sure that there are trusted collaborations, that there are adequate skill sets on both sides and, you know, that people are who they say they are and can, you know, can do what they say they can do. So, you know what? Um, that, but yeah, that those are the kind of collaborations people are looking for. And that's a, and that's a, that's an interesting point you bring up in terms of like the trust factor, seeing the people are who they say they are, and like you know how can you trust this or that, or you Absolutely. own something. And what I was going to ask you is, one hundred percent. If I'm going to get a plane, if I'm going to get on a plane and come halfway around the world, I need you know, like sure. people have to have their ducks in a row. How strongly do you feel about? Um, us, the proverbial us, having our own platforms that's like, you know, whereas like we have our own kind of like YouTube slash Facebook slash Instagram that is our content. That's right. Our content and like own yeah, our, 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 Zoom. our own Zoom. Why aren't we any of us making money off of what's happening right now? You know, most of the time because it, we're either informed on exactly how to be a part of those wealth propositions, or we don't. Um, we don't trust it, right? And again, both of those issues sometimes get in the way of you being in a position that you want to be in because you either don't have the information, don't know what you're looking at, or you don't trust. Uh, you don't trust it when it shows up. So. Um, you know, so that's, 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 you know, that's tough. I mean, we can, uh, oftentimes, you know, I know people who will say, oh, well, you know, I can't do that. Nobody else I know can, can do that because we can't afford it. Well, collectively, you probably can, but yeah, maybe not individually. So you have to learn how to, um, how to get in that, how to get in the game and how to be in the, in the equation. And at least it starts with, if nothing less, cooperation and collaboration and then at some point then it's cooperative economics you know then you actually got to start pooling the resources you know not only being in the same place at the same time doing it you know with each other now do it for 
each other and, and you know, and not be afraid to kind of to cross the line and put your neck on the line, you know, if you want the opportunity to grow or you want that wealth to expand. That's how this system works. But, you know, I'm also on the page of like, I have to admit, like, if I never worked with anybody else but black folks, like, I'm all right with that. I don't have I don't have to receive an Academy Award for me to know how, how blessed and how brilliant I am. I don't need it. Real talk. I'm going to say it right now. I honestly feel that way. Um, I don't have to work with, um, I don't have to work with Martin Scorsese to feel like I arrived. So if I only work with Oprah and Tyler for the rest of my career, I'm cool with that. I mean, you know, it's like, if you think about, if you talk about who are some of the most legendary groups or singers or bands, some of them don't have Emmys and Grammys and all that. Like I'll gladly be Frankie Beverly and Mays. I don't need to be the Rolling Stones. To hell with the Rolling Stones. You know what I'm saying? I know who's telling the stories that matter. I know who's coming from my community and my experience and who's in every single household that, that looks like me and shares my origins. I know who that is. So all I got to do is be, you know, um, loved and received and appreciated, you know, uh, and not for my ego, but because that's who finds value in what I'm doing. If, 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 if it's only people that look like me, why isn't that success? You know what I'm saying? Why isn't that good enough? You know what I'm saying? So what's funny is people don't consider themselves to have arrived anywhere until, again, until somebody else validates them. Right. They do that in their lives, in their romantic lives, their professional lives, whatever. I could care less, you know? Like, honestly, all this stuff that I'm doing, if and when it happens, it is all icing on the cake. You know what I mean? Really. So, like, I already know what kind of value I have. Like, I, I, I've known I was a star for forever, you know? You just found out. You know what I'm saying? So, right. that's, and, and, and there's a real thin line between, again, people perceiving that as conceited or arrogant. That's not at all what it is. It's just, it's just self-love. It's an appreciation and understanding of, um, of what I've, what I've been blessed to receive and what I have the audacity to feel that I have to give and, and, and the worth of it. And as long as I'm given the opportunity and I can create the opportunity to give that away and to share that and to continue to be in a position for the universe to give it to me, then that's the cycle that's important. You know that uh, Tupac Shakur and Nas don't have Grammys. Think about really? That. Yeah, they don't have credits. No, no surprise. But that's my point. No surprise. No surprise. And they don't. And they don't need them. They, they don't. don't they don't need them. Hey, um, talk about talk about uh, this love wins project. Yeah, yeah. So this love wins is another um, you know project you all that I'm that I'm developing right now. We're raising funds for. So you can go to uh, this love. Um, thislovewins.com on social media and our website this love wins this love wins movie um but yeah um and then again the albert uh einstein paul robeson what is called albert and paul so again albert and paul uh film uh, across the board but yeah this love wins is is basically about the challenges of uh of of children in uh in foster care uh, and in our adoption services and systems. And, you know, it, it really just kind of speaks to also the reality of how some people and some families and some uh, women in particular struggle with infertility. Um, uh, 
how they are challenged with um, having to be creative about, um, you know, about how they see family and how they're willing to shape and design their family, sometimes by choice and sometimes it's by chance. <laughs> I've seen this work and the value of it in my own personal life. Talking to one of my other uh, homeboys, he's just like, he literally has three of his nephews that now all of a sudden he's got three boys in his home <laughs> that he didn't even plan to be to take care of, you know? Right. Now all of a sudden he got three kids, you know? Um, so, you know, these things happen all the time. So that's really what This Love Wins is about, man. It just speaks to, um, it speaks to those, these other designs that God has for what our families uh, sometimes can and will look like. It's at a crowdfunding stage right now, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So we're still raising, you know, raising funds to put the film into production. But, you know, we got the script, budget, all that. You know, it's yeah. an incredible project. I'm, I'm really excited about it. You know, we're hoping to, uh, even in spite of all this, if we can make it happen before the uh, end of the year, that would be, uh, you know, mm -hmm. it, would, it would be an awesome uh, achievement. Yeah. How are so, you yeah. and your colleagues, you know, speaking of this whole, you know, hopefully, hopefully we can do it at the end of the year. I'm thinking about all the thespians, the entertainers, the influencers. I mean, you guys have had to pause and cancel so much. Um, what are you and some of your, you know, people in the industry, how are they managing all of this? Yeah, man, it's tough. So that's why it's so important for everybody, no matter what you do, to have, you know, again, multiple streams of income or to have, you know, other things that feed your spirit um, as well, because at these, these things happen all the time or they happen periodically or they happen... Um, I mean, you know, it's not always going to be uh, a pandemic, but, and it's not always going to be something as broad and as drastic as even our economic, you know, um, uh, collapse, right? Like back in 08, there are plenty of times in the last 12 years where, where people have been in this kind of situation or we've been sidelined or sidetracked by um, even layoffs, right? I mean, this could be something as simple as getting laid off or getting fired or having to leave, you know, your job or, uh, or something like that. Um, you know, so you, so you, you have to, um, um, you know, be in a position to, uh, adjust and adapt when those things happen. So this is very, um, challenging for all of us. It's discouraging to not, uh, be able to go back to work, to not be able to get paid, to not be able to make a living, um, even when you are skilled or even if you do know what you're doing. And even if you did have a job, like they're telling you don't show up or they're furloughing people and letting people go or downsizing or whatever. So what's always um, been valuable and what's always helped me is to be able to shift. Like I said, whether something is first position or second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, tenth, I'd rather have a variety of things that I'm capable of doing and different skills and different se segments of industry that I can move in and out of. It's a very, uh, very important point that Heath brings up there because um, a lot of us might think that, you know, just because someone is in Hollywood um, or an entertainer or even like with sports, you know, like, oh, you know, like they'll be okay. But like a job is a job, you know, like that was your livelihood. So anyone that loses their livelihood or like, you know, like you said, like being furloughed,
um, that does hurt. Um, and there's a lot behind it as well, not just the people on the screen, but like you know, the like the makeup people and like everything. No, I'm, I'm so in. sorry, man. I'm in the middle. I'm in the middle of a uh, of a yeah of an interview. Thanks for the love, brother. I'm so sorry. No, that's all right. Yeah, thanks for the love, man. Nice to meet you. All right, I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> how much you pay him? How, how, how much you pay him? <laughs> no, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. You don't even know I've, how many times that's I've happened. Lamont, let me take this. Let me take this. I've been with this guy around the country, around the world, where we're walking into a sports arena. You remember the Georgetown game in D.C.? By the time we got to our seats, it was halftime. Wow. I forget about it. It takes oh, forever wow. to go anywhere. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it happens all the time, especially when I'm with him. I, I witness it. Right. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Um, we, have, we have questions in the room? I was, I was doing my best not to be rude. The first time, you know, he, he almost like, you know, I'm in the car right now, so he almost like jumped in the window. You know, I, I, I didn't want to go like north side on him and give him an elbow. <laughs> you know, just run up. You know what I mean? You give him like southeast style kind of, um, you know, out of, out of respect, right? Um, but, uh, you know, you don't just jump in somebody's car window like that, too, no matter how excited you are. Um, but then the other thing is, you know, out of respect for y'all, I'm trying to continue to give you my undivided attention. I was like mid-sentence, too. Uh, but, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure I acknowledged him yeah. that time because he came back. Yeah, he, and, uh, he deserved that. He definitely deserves that. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So I do my best to be courteous and attentive. Uh, to anybody, everybody, all the time. Sometimes the situation just doesn't always allow, and sometimes when people don't get exactly what they want or what they hoped for, or what they expected, you know, now you're now you're an asshole, right? When they have no idea that the reason why you couldn't necessarily fulfill their request is because you're in the middle of a you're in the middle of a meeting or a conversation, or you know, mm -hmm. you'd be disrespectful to someone to someone else, but. Um, Always yeah, yeah, guys. man. You know, we know each other a long time, bro. So you've seen me in situations like that countless times and numerous yeah. environments and several different zip codes and country codes. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Looking forward to having you back over here in Dubai. Lamont uh, was here. I think we, we spent New Year's, Christmas, right? 2018. Yeah. Uh, you were here for three weeks and then uh, you came over in 2012, I believe. Yeah, I was there prior to that. Yeah, yeah, twenty twelve. So, yeah, when you get back over, we'll do a part, a part two. Uh, uh, Global Brothers podcast. We have a couple places that we broadcast from, mainly uh, Raz Beach Vibes on the Palm Jumeirah, and then also we've done uh, other locations, Fairmont Kiza. Hotel, Kiza. Kiza. Yeah. So uh, also the uh, Rotana. We did we did an interview yeah. with MKO at the Rotana. So Rotana. Um, it's, gonna, it's gonna be nice to get you over here, man. Uh, once we're through this whole uh, global crisis. Uh, Trey Lou says, uh, what, "What are the plans moving forward, and how can we as people help?" Trey Lou's, Trey Lou's asking all the questions. <laughs> what are my What are my plans moving forward? Yeah, and 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 uh, how can we as a people help to keep our local community businesses afloat? That's it's funny how people like load up. They make one question, like <laughs> they put three questions in the one question. And, and like, um, like heavy so stuff, like you're the president. 
<laughs> my plans, but I know, right? You know, funny about that is I, there's people who call me things like that all the time, call me the, the mayor or the governor or, you know, I've got all kind of nicknames like that too. That's funny. <laughs> but, um, but all, all that to say, you know, my plans are again, taking these projects that, you know, I talked about taking those things forward. There's actually another story of uh, a film that I did while I was an undergrad there in Pittsburgh. Um, and one of my partners actually who's still there, my man, Greg Allen, he wrote this re really dope um, piece called Traces. And we did uh, an indie um, of it years ago. He adapted it to the stage for Kuntu Repertory Theater as well. Did it, they did it at Kuntu. And now we're actually revamping that uh, screenplay to try to put, you know, to plan to put it into development and make it happen as well. So those three um, projects in particular, you know, are, are what I have kind of in my own personal development when it comes to my team and my production uh, team and capacity um, and those partnerships. Uh, and then other than that, as you all may already know, this is uh, um, in June, um, season five of Greenleaf premieres, and this is our final season. So, you know, I'll be looking forward to, you know, moving on to another series uh, after that to keep to keep that pushing. Um, so excited to, uh, you know, consider what that, uh, you know, what that new gig might look like when the time comes. That's always exciting. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to being back on stage for sure. Um, I'm also um, we're revamping and relaunching our um, nonprofit, started a nonprofit back in 2009 called the Black Gents of Hollywood. We started it in L.A. And um, we brought actually a couple of our plays there to Pittsburgh over the years, um, in particular our Tuskegee uh, Airmen piece. Uh, we've gotten away from doing as much of the original uh, theater ensemble production work and are focusing a lot more on service and education. So we're revamping and changing our headquarters to Atlanta. And uh, so, you know, we'll be doing a lot more of that work based out of Atlanta, but still, you know, connected to California and, and New York. So there's a variety of like endless uh, organizations that I and the Black Gents uh, have been involved with and partnered with over the years. So we're going to continue to be doing a lot of that work. So all of this service work that we've already been talking about, that work continues. I've just been doing a lot more of it under the Black Gents umbrella. And it's going to be truncated now with Black Gents because it's global. It ain't just, you know, Hollywood and L.A. We're only focusing on um, the on entertainment, for example. It's the arts, it's education, it's empowerment. Um, and again, from a much more uh, global perspective. So listen out for uh, the Black Gents. You can follow us. We kind of started our um, some of those portals, but we're revamping the website and online stuff. But uh, the Black Gents, so at the Black Gents, B-L-A-C-K-G-E-N-T-S, um, you know, to keep track of the kind of work that we're that we're doing that we're going to be into. Um, so that's that's a little bit of that. And that's just literally that's just a small footprint of so many things I have my hands in. Um, you know, I'm on several boards. So whether it's organizations from, you know, um, you know, uh, I, I mean, I, again, I, there's too many to mention, but uh, literally, 
I'm in so many different spaces and, you know, do my best to just not be too saturated or spread out too thin, but there's a lot of work to do and there's a lot of opportunity to do it. So, um, you know, any of the work that you all are doing, wherever you are, uh, if there's a way for me to be, you know, connected and integrated into that, whatever part of the world you're in, um, you know, I'm always open to, to the conversation, you know, as well. So I serve, uh, wherever I can. And, you know, this is also, like I said, this is also how I make a living. You know, everything's not just on, uh, on camera that I do, you know, the way I also, uh, make a living is, is, you know, through my experience and my training uh, as an educator, as a scholar, you know, uh, you know, through service and philanthropy as well. But, uh, as an academic, again, that's one of the other things about Heath and I that we've always vibed on is, you know, how we've been in leadership and administrative positions, you know, as, as educators and as, as men of color, as educators, it's a whole nother, you know, it's, it's a very uh, specific and clear community and, and, you know, a lot of things that we have in common. So always aligning myself with, uh, with brothers like you, you know, um, and, and, and women, sisters too around the world, you know, so a lot of work to do. So that's a little bit of uh, some of what's happening. We've got, we've got, we've got uh, quite a few questions flooding in now. Oh, really? Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're coming, they're coming now. They're coming now. Okay. From, from, uh, from Madagascar, Finardi, uh, she wants to know how do you balance business and family time? One of, one of my tricks is I literally, um, I'm, I mean, I hate to say it, but I make a schedule. I'm Mr. Free Spirit. I'm Mr. Creativity. But what a lot of people don't know about me is how you do have to be disciplined and structured. So I literally, um, I mean, even the time we've been together, I've had several alarms go off, you know, on my phone and stuff like that. Um, so that, um, you know, they're reminding me of things to do, um, you know, certain deliverables I have or I have to make or certain, I even have stuff on my phone that's like, okay, take a break, personal time. You know what I'm saying? Stop working, basically, you know? And then the alarm goes off again, you know, however so uh, much later. And it's, um, you know, okay, uh, you know, time to get back to work, <laughs> you know? And right. then because of what I was in different time zones, then it's like, okay, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's seven something. So that means it's four something in LA. Stop what you're doing, dealing with anybody on the East coast and make sure you get back to everybody on the West coast and wrap that up because the West coast is about to close in the next, you know what I'm saying? In the next hour or two. So there's even things like that. So I basically just kind of make sure that, all right, time to wake up. All right, relax, chill, take some time to yourself, tune in to your wife. You know what I mean? Um, plan your day, whatever, work out, you know, and then whatever order those things happen, you make sure you prioritize all the things that are important and that are, again, essential to your success, right? Yes. The success is how well you balance all of those things. You know, if, yeah. if your life is leaning way too much toward one direction or another, sometimes your that imbalance is an indicator that maybe your life isn't as um, efficient or as successful as it could be. So I'm always looking to achieve balance. I'm always looking for harmony and synergy and, you know, in my life on a, on a daily, regular basis. We have uh, another one from Tush and uh, 
she's she said uh, 24 years old and is having trouble finding herself and um, you know trying to find her talents what advice can you give her all right good um so i I've, I've gotten to that not only in myself but when i facilitate this for other people i i, I do it in at least two different ways so this might seem like these are polar opposites but i don't actually consider them polar opposites most of the time you just have to really like tune into yourself so one thing is eliminate distractions all right the things that you do and the way you're balancing your time and whatever you're spending a lot of energy on these days if too much of it is on your phone or it's tv or it's socializing or it's video games or like whatever that stuff is if it takes you two hours to do your hair you're spending too much time a day on your hair you, you know what i'm saying so a lot of times what we spend our time on when we revisit that that either tells you one what's important to you or it tells you where you're wasting your time right and then what you do with that information in my opinion is okay well where would i love to actually spend more time you probably say that all the time. You already have that answer more than likely. Not only that, you probably are giving are expressing other answers to some of your questions and the things that you complain about. So I tell people all the time, even when it comes to certain things that might be negative, there's actually value and power um, even in that. So if there's things that I'm complaining about, what that's telling me is those are things that I'm sensitive to. And if I'm sensitive to that, or I'm empathetic to that even, it might be telling me something about maybe what I'm designed to do, what needs I'm designed to meet. Because if it's bothering me that much and getting under my skin, or I'm whining or complaining about it, then I should probably do something about it. So again, all of these things to me are information that can sometimes give us a hint or give us very clear and even if they're not always clear, at least give us hints or clues to where maybe we should start uh, pursuing our energy. I remember before, one of the things that made me change my, um, uh, my, my graduate degree is I was in a, initially I was in the MBA, JD joint, you know, right? Uh, MBA law degree program. And I had to ask myself like, you know, all right, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I just think it's, fancy to be like yeah i have my mba and you know my law degree what do i really want to do with this why 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 right so again we we always say what is your why what is your why what's your what's your source of passion and conviction purpose is another answer but sometimes the way we get there is not always the same for everybody else so what i had to look at was like okay what would i do for free i remember is what i asked myself and then you know what I realized? I was already doing it. I was already volunteering. I was coaching up at Shinley High School. Wasn't making a dime. Um, you know, there were, I had four godchildren by that time. Um, if actually more than that, I had just had another godchild. I think the year before I remember kind of having this conversation. So I was literally taking care of my sister's two kids back in DC, my brother's daughter back in DC, a goddaughter back in DC. And by this time I had three more godchildren in Pittsburgh and I'm in college. It ain't like I ain't missed the money bags. What am I doing trying to support all these kids and all these families? And again, I don't mean support being financial. I'm talking about being present. 
that's what being supportive is about. It ain't about writing some kind of check, you know, for child support. I was actually doing the work as well as spending the money that I barely had. When I thought about it, I was like, duh, it's children, it's education, it's community, it's young people. So I changed my major. One of the best decisions I ever made. Now, do I think I would be making money hand over fist right now as a big time business mogul and, you know, law partner or something like that? Absolutely. But would I be as successful? There's the word again. Would I be as successful or as fulfilled? Absolutely not. So, you know, I had to really pay attention to, again, where am I spending my time? What is my spirit saying to me? What would I do for free? Where are my interests and curiosities and what kind of things am I trying to explore and discover? And then you just got to go for it. You have to not be afraid to entrench yourself into the spaces and into the areas and into the fields um, that you, you know, that you have these interests and these passions. So luckily I was able to go to school and get a master's degree in education. I was able to continue to entrench myself within Shinley high school and become, you know, um, a full-time basketball coach there, even though I was really only an assistant and a volunteer assistant, but I helped take that program to the next level. It had been struggling for quite some time. I know I was a part of that equation. Um, but more importantly, uh, it, it helped to really help me clarify and define uh, who I was and, and what I really do with my life personally and professionally. And so some of those same techniques, you know, um, I'm confident will work for you. But, um, yes, but go inward before you, before you go outward, you know? Great answer. And pray on it. That's what prayer is about. It's about clarity. It's not about God giving you the answer and doing it for you. It's about you clearing out the space so that you have the clarity and moving the clouds out the way so the sun can, so the sun can shine in and you can get the clarity you need to make the decision for yourself. Amazing answer. Uh, Tush, I'm sure, is uh, very happy for all of that. Uh, we have five minutes exactly left in the last right. and fourth round this, of this, this whole speedball. We turn speedball. In the corner. All right, these are quick. These are quick ones, right? Very quick ones. Uh, so um, how can we support your foundations? You gave us some websites. Just give us the websites again, slower, and uh, any social media. Yeah. yeah, the organization is The Black Gents. Um, all right, T-H-E-B as in boy, L-A-C-K. G as in George, G-E-N-T-S, The Black Gents, at The Black Gents. Um, my socials are uh, at Lamon Rucker Official. That's L-A-M-M-A-N-R-U-C-K-E-R, uh, again, official, O-F-F as in Frank, I-C-I-A-L. Um, and, uh, you know, hashtag pray for Jacob. <laughs> Uh, P-R-A-Y, the number four, J-A-C-O-B, and of course, hashtag Greenleaf. Um, uh, you know, anything else I'm doing, again, this Love Wins movie, Albert Paul film, um, you know, uh, we don't have uh, some of this information yet for traces, but anything, I mean, whether it's the Association of Black Cardiologists and my heart health work, uh, the AIDS Healthcare Foundation and all other related interconnected uh, agencies with that, whether it's uh, Dream Core and Green for All and um, the Be Me community. Shout out to my brothers yeah. throughout the Be Me community. So at BME community, 
C-O-M-M-U-N-I-T-Y. Um, there's countless other collectives. Again, you know, the 100 Black um, Men of America. I mean, there's so many different, you know, partners and things that I'm aligned with. Um, you know, the list is, is endless. So anytime you hear or see me uh, connected to any of these people, please come out, support, and also support their work regardless of my association. These are uh, people and organizations that are, that are committed to things that, uh-huh. that matter and are making a difference. I'm going to um, grab, grab you there. I'm going to grab you there. Yeah, go ahead. All right. We'll give you titles and stuff. That's yeah, fine. yeah. Uh, because you guys have Lamont's information, so you can ask him uh, privately. Uh, for instance, Noor wants to, add, uh, to tell you about her foundation. Uh, Noor, you can uh, message Lamont uh, on, his, on his Instagram. Next question, really quick one. Have you ever traveled to discover your roots? Which is just a yes or no question. Have you traveled to discover your roots? Uh, no. Okay, that's no, no, not yet. But I know where they're connected to. So I plan on being in Cameroon, Ghana, and Nigeria very soon. Amazing, amazing. Okay. And what's but your I'm favorite travel? Okay, Barbados, huh? Well, that's that's also where some of my roots are. So okay. my grandfather, who was Ghanaian, was also from the Caribbean. So, I'm, okay. but And I have at least the Barbados. What's one of your favorite travel destinations? Favorite travel destinations? I've been to South Africa a couple times. Um, you know, that's tough. So South Africa, Dubai, Bali, um, for sure. But I also lived in Japan as a kid. So I, I love I love Asia um, as well. So Africa and Asia, for sure. And last one, last one, last one uh, from Teba in Ethiopia. She says, please let us know if there's any collaborations you want to do on the motherland. Absolutely, one hundred percent. All right, and uh, I'll let you guys be the conduits for that too. You know, I know uh, uh, Heath in particular is directly connected to Ethiopia. So anything happening in Ethiopia, we'll make that happen through through Heath. Teba, you know, Teba is a big shot in Ethiopia. You know, I call her. You know, I call her the queen. Big shot. That's what's up. Let's make it happen, Teba. We'll follow your lead. For sure. Okay. Well, uh, we got less than a minute. Uh, we're gonna we're, we're gonna say our goodbyes. You know, appreciate you so much, everybody. You know, ple- pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me, man. Much love, Marlon. All right, love y'all, brothers, man. Stay lifted up. Continue to do this incredibly powerful work, man. Um, yeah. You know, thanks everybody. Love you, Heath. Appreciate you, man. Glad you, I can be here with y'all. And as we always say at this time, everybody, uh, live global and prosper. Yes, sir. Peace. Check us out on YouTube, Global Brothers Podcast, and please subscribe and share and, you know, continue to support, you know, good content. Thanks, everybody. Mr. Worldwide.